I'm Leanna Shields, and you're listening to The Cozy Sleuth. Today, Snoops and Sleuths, I have Nancy Lynn Jarvis, here to talk about her books, writing, and all things cozy. Nancy, would you like to introduce yourself to my Snoops and Sleuths? Okay, um, I'm a geezerette, um, about to turn 73, and I didn't start writing until I was 59. I began doing it as a game, kind of solving a puzzle, just to see if I could do it. Um, and it was so much fun that I, I can't stop now. That's one of the things that happens when you start writing, especially cozies, it's addictive. And it's so much fun that you just keep doing it. I live in Santa Cruz, more or less, Santa Cruz, California. And I use that area as the setting for my books. Um, so I currently have two series, Reagan McHenry Real Estate Mysteries and PIP Incorporated, and a few standalones. I also edited something called Santa Cruz Weird. Uh, 17 local authors put together short stories about our area for an anthology. But the thing that I've done that I think was the most fun, cozy mystery writers are some of the most lovely people in the world, and you get to know one another when you're in the community. I managed to get 128 of them to contribute recipes from their books for something called Cozy Food. 128 Cozy Mystery authors share their favorite recipes. It is a fabulous book. Uh, not only are the recipes really fun, they come from all time periods and all over the world, but at the back half of the book, they put in little biographies. It's worth getting the book just to read their biographies because cozy mystery writers are often very witty. And that's probably enough about me. <laughs> I'll let you take over. Well, you just sound fascinating and those books sound awesome. Thank you. So is any of your writing inspired by your actual life? All of it, I would say. Uh, the first series, the Reagan McHenry Real Estate Mysteries, seven in the series, I had been a realtor for almost 25 years when I, in 2008, when the market tanked and my husband and I had a little real estate company and we just decided that rather than trying to deal with the cruelties of a very unbalanced market, that we were gonna pretend we were retired. For me, that lasted two weeks. I got so bored. And we had just come back from back East driving and on the course of the drive, I'm not a happy drive car, car person. So I was reading Tony Hillerman, read every one of his books with Leaphorn and Chi that are set on the big reservation in, the, in New Mexico, Nevada, Arizona, that whole area. And by the time I got back, I thought, you know, I think because I'm bored, I'm gonna try to write a mystery. I will use real estate as my equivalent to Native American people because it has its own jargon and its own set of rules. And because I'm a very visual writer, I will set it in the Santa Cruz area. So if I need to, I can go see what I'm talking about. So that's how that started. And in fact, when I was writing the first book, The Death Contingency, I started out with the characters being called Nancy and Craig. Those were our names. And that lasted until I had to kill a character. My husband found me curled up in a ball, shaking and crying. And I decided that if I was really gonna do this, it couldn't be me, I couldn't handle it. 
So Nancy became Reagan McHenry and Craig became Tom Kiley, her husband. And I took off from there. So the, the first series, the Reagan McHenry Real Estate Mysteries, I like to tell people that anything pertaining to real estate came either from my experiences or from friends' experiences. The only things that are made up are the murderers. Not even necessarily the murderers. They can be based on people that I know too, but I had to change their names, of course, to protect their identity and also to make them do what I want them to do because most of those people aren't killers or just wouldn't get involved in the way that they needed to. <laughs> so that series, you know, seven books, um, was really fun to write. Unfortunately, my husband died a few years ago. And because we had such a great working relationship on these books, I found it very difficult to continue writing them after he died. I did finish one that I was working on and did one more and then decided that that had to be the end of the series. I needed to do something else. So I have a really good friend who was the Santa Cruz County law librarian. And when she retired, she became an amateur private investigator. So Pat, uh, my friend, oh, well, I won't use her last name, her real last name. I call her Pat Perard in the series became the inspiration for PIP Incorporated, which stands for Private Investigator Pat. Now she and her husband have moved to Oregon and it's a great way for me to keep in touch with her because she comes down or at least pre-COVID came down uh, to Santa Cruz to visit and to consult for books. So I can call her and say, Pat, I'm trying to investigate this. How would I do it? So that's also sort of based on my experiences. Oh, that's fascinating. And I bet that really gives her some rich backgrounds. And Oh, she has amazing stories to tell. Just, just fabulous things. And so I'm working on the third book in the series. Um, and I, at one point I did uh, Airbnb. I was a host and got to know a number of people pretty pretty well. Some of them came back regularly. One woman was a glass artist and she would come from New York to take a class in Bonnie Dune. And she invited me over to, to the class the last day of it to take a peek at what they were working on because everything was always packaged by, and ready to go back with her on the plane to New York. So I never saw any of her finished work. And when I was there, I was invited in to share lunch with the people who were doing it. And the man who was teaching the class was kind of eavesdropping. My friend Jan was saying, oh, this is Nancy. I've been telling you about her. She's the one who writes murder mysteries. And he bounced over and said, I know a great way to kill someone using super glue in a kiln. <laughs> and that was just too tantalizing to let go. So he explained a little bit more and I left by the time Jan came back to the to my Airbnb space, I had researched what he said and indeed he was right. And I'd outlined something called The Glass House, which was the first of the PIP incorporated books. And then in the course of investigating it, I consulted with Pat regularly so she could tell me how I would look things up and how I would do things because it's much more technical. I felt really confident with real estate since I'd done it so long. I knew I was writing something I knew, but I definitely need an intimate contact in order to be able to write for PIP Incorporated. 
Wow, what a story. <laughs> it's very interesting. I've discovered that when I do a lot of research for the books, um, I want things to be as factual as possible. And so, you know, I'm someone who picks up the phone or, or goes to different locations and talks to people and asks how things might work. And it's really fun because when ordinary people find out that I'm writing a murder mystery and I wanna use their location or their job or something to do with them in it, they just bubble and tell you all sorts of things and suggest things. One of my favorites, um, the fourth book in the Reagan McHenry real estate mystery series is called The Widow's Walk League. And the premise for it is that there's a group of women who go for walks and in theory, they look for widow's walks. There are very specific architectural detail frequently found in coastal communities. And there are a lot of them in Santa Cruz. And so these women were not particularly dedicated to walking. They mostly wanted to have lunch, which they could do as soon as they spotted one. But their husbands start dying one at a time under very unusual circumstances. And there's a figure of death it's associated with the murders, maybe for real or maybe because the media and everybody else has gotten their imagination going. But for one of the, the murders, I wanted it to happen on the Santa Cruz Municipal Wharf. Once a year in June, they host something called Woodies on the Wharf and about 200 old style Woodies, you know, surf, surf mobile type things from the 30s, 40s, 50s, even into the 60s will converge and it's quite an event. And I thought that would be a great place for a murder to take place. And I worked out how it was to happen, but I wasn't sure about the details. So I contacted the president of the closest Woody's club that I could find. And as soon as he decided I wasn't a crazy woman, he said, we have to meet for coffee. I have much to tell you. <laughs> so he brought diagrams and even told me where the car should be parked on the wharf in order to make the murder work seamlessly. And that's what I mean by people being really helpful. <laughs> the really fun thing with this particular story is that um, after the book came out, the next time there was a Woody's event, I took a copy to him as a thank you. I knew he would be there. And then decided to go over to the space where the murder had happened and talk to the person who was there. And I greeted him with, you better be careful. Things didn't work out very well for the last person who was parked here. And his comment was, oh, I'm a retired uh, homicide investigator. Nothing scares me. And my husband asked him, oh, where did you work? And he said, San Jose. Well, there's a recurring character in the book called Dave Everett, and he is a one-eyed police officer. He lost an eye in the line of duty in a shootout. And he's kind of talked himself into an ombudsman position because a realtor can't very well go to, you know, to the police department and say, tell me about what's going on. But he can because he works there. So anyway, when we found out that he worked in San Jose, Craig said, oh, well, we have a friend who uh, was a police officer in San Jose until he lost his eye in a shootout. 
And the guy said, oh, you mean Dave? And he used his real last name and we were stunned and said, yes. And he said, yeah, I was with him the night that happened. Oh, and it was wow. Kind of like, oh my golly, <laughs> the world is a very small place. Yeah. So any advice for those who want to write their own cozies or just write in general? Well, I don't know about writing in general. Um, I've only, you know, as I said, edited a couple of books and I did do one other standalone called Mags and the AARP Gang. That's a completely different thing. It's first person, Mags is 83. And as she said, she has a story to tell. She doesn't know how much time she has left to tell it. So she wanted me to write it right away. Um, but I would just say start. I mean, when I started writing, I had no idea what I was doing. I had I th what I thought was a really strong beginning and I knew the ending of the book, no idea at all how to connect the two things. And it was just a, you know, learn as you go. I think the books are better now. I think each book is probably a little bit stronger than the one before, but as I said, you get hooked and you can't stop. It's just really fun to do. So, you know, the biggest thing is just do it. When I speak at libraries or, you know, in, in public, first question I'll ask the group is how many of you want to write a book? And almost every hand goes up. Now, of course, it's a selected group. Obviously, these are people who are interested in books or they wouldn't be there. And, and the next question is how many of you have started? and almost all the hands go down. And my third question is why? And people make a million excuses. I don't have time, it might not be good, it might not be, you know, whatever. Maybe it's because I'm older and don't feel that I have to prove anything or have anything to lose, but what's the worst thing that can happen if you actually write a book? It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to change your life. You'll meet new people. You'll have adventures. It's just really something to do. So stop making excuses and do it. You don't have to sit down and write it all at once. Um, you can work on it for five or 10 minutes a day. I'm very undisciplined. I write when I have time and, and the mood hits me. I know a lot of writers have regular routines, probably because they're trying to earn a living with what they're doing. And I'm blessed because I'm retired. I don't have to do that. So I write because it's lots of fun to do. And I have made some money too, which doesn't hurt. <laughs> I, I love your I love advice. Your That's advice. Awesome. awesome. It's, and it's so true that basically to be a writer, you have to sit down and write and get started. Yes. yes. And like you said, what's the worst that can happen? If the book absolutely is horrible, you don't have to publish it. No one even has to know you wrote it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do, there are all sorts of ways of publishing now. You don't have to go with the big six. You can be, you know, an independent, independent. It's really easy to publish books. The first time someone contacts you and said, I really enjoyed your book, I'm telling you that that is second only to giving birth to your babies. It really is. It's, it's the most marvelous feeling that you have made someone enjoy what you wrote, that they're willing to share that with you. And it, it as I said, it's life-changing and just so much fun. So please, 
sit down and do it. Yeah, I can I can second that that mo that emotion. Yeah, the I bet you can. First time you publish a book and get that I love this book, I couldn't put it down review. It's kind of addicting, really. Yes. <laughs> but it's also just it is one of the greatest feelings in the world to know that something that was on your heart, on your mind, and that you worked on for who knows how long is out there and people are reacting to it. They're loving it. And unfortunately, there are some cases of they'll hate it, but hey, that's, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Because even the best mystery writers out there, Agatha Christie, I'm sure Conan Doyle has some one-star reviews out there. <laughs> I'm sure they do. And, you know, one of the other things that, I, uh, maybe it's just me being weird, but when you write a book, it get, either you have to get or it gets an LLC number, which means the Library of Congress. And in order to get that number, you are required to send them a copy of your book. I'm just astounded to think that my books are in the Library of Congress. It doesn't get better than that. I mean, that's just like, to me, that's a huge deal. Um, in my checkered career, I also was a librarian for a few years. So I have a special affinity for that sort of thing. <laughs> so do you have a favorite character or would you get in trouble with your other characters? No, they wouldn't mind. Um, it, it's, it's kind of between two. The, from the first book, Mrs. Rosemont, um, I, I think I mentioned that my characters generally start out as someone that I know, and then I change their name to make them do what I want them to do. Mrs. Rosemont, that, that was not the case. I just made her up, and she is definitely older. She has a rather alternative way of looking at life, and she definitely, out of all the characters in the mysteries, she remains my favorite. My other, though, absolute love was my... Oh, what kind of dog? <laughs> uh, Australian cattle dog. Oh, please don't hurt me. I'll, I'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, my other absolute favorite character is Mags. And you know, another story to tell, I was working on the Widow's Walk League. Normally, I do a, a psychological profile of characters, often even small ones. And I do not a detailed outline, but at least a bit of an outline, because when you write mysteries, I find I need to have a timeline just so I knew, know who knew what when. So there has to be a little bit of an outline. But I was just finishing up the Widow's Walk League, and it literally felt like I, someone was tapping me on the shoulder. And, you know, I'm in my office, and of course, there was no one there but me. And this, um, this went on for a time and I finally just kind of spun and said to air, leave me alone. I'm trying to write and you're distracting me. And this voice in my head said, well, I am 83. I have a story to tell. I don't know how much time I have left to do it. So write fast. Well, when I finished the Widow's Walk League, I sat down at the computer, no outline, nothing and said, okay, who are you? And again, the voice in my head said, my name is Margaret Broadley Benson. 
but you can call me Mags. And she went off. It was a completely different experience. It's written in first person. Yes, I had some ideas of a couple of things. I wanted there to be a bank robbery and I did want there to be a trial, but I really didn't know much more than that. And I certainly didn't know who Mags was. She told me. One of the other characters in the book named Melville, Melvin was supposed to just have kind of a cameo role. And he just kept saying, I need more lines. I need more lines and demanded that he take up more space in the book. And that was really a kick to write. I mean, just, just such a different experience. So, you know, characters definitely talk to you. And I think I love Mags because she talked to me so clearly and so well, and she's never done it again. I'd love to write about the gang again, but uh, she hasn't hasn't inspired me or contacted me or how whatever you think that was <laughs> back in touch let's say yeah. one of my favorite sayings that i found on facebook once is i create the characters and then from then on i take dictation yes and it is really interesting i know i i met a man who was a writer he wrote about it was sort of fictionalized but based on the Portuguese population along the north coast above Santa Cruz during World War II. And um, I was talking to him and he said he often would drive and just park there and let his characters talk to him. And, you know, my reaction was, oh, okay, we, we're talking about a full on winky here. That's just crazy. <laughs> what I learned right away when you start writing, your characters do talk to you. And as much as you think you know them, you don't. They tell you things that you had no idea uh, about them, that, you know, things that have happened to them, how they feel about something. And that is one of the other joys about writing. And one of the things that's really fun and a good reason why you should start your cozies. Because cozy people are friendly, so they'll tell you lots of things. Absolutely. Actually, with my book series, it's funny. My characters even have their favorite kind of music. Really? Yeah. Um, I was having a hard time writing my main character, who's called Sabia. And one day I just was on Spotify and I found some Lindsay Sterling music. She's kind of a pop violinist. Mm -hmm. And, oh, I can't remember. Oh, it was a song called Something Wild. And all of a sudden, listening to it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is it. This is what's going to make my character start speaking to me and telling me her story. That's really fun. Um, and it is funny how that works. I know when I started The Glass House, so this is the first you know, PIP Incorporated, um, my character was pulling into work and singing to Aretha Franklin's respect. So that's how kind of the book opens with a R-E-S-E. I won't try to sing because I'm a terrible person, but <laughs> anyway, yeah, their music does get into it. And, you know, that anthem and the fact that that was what she was listening to helps define the character immediately. Absolutely. And it's just funny because in that song, there's, it describes more her love interest Bridger than it does her. 
Because mm-hmm. the first line in the song is, you had your maps drawn, had, ev- had all your plans. And Bridger is very much a, I have this plan. This is how it's going to work out. Then he meets Sabia, who's very much a free spirit. In fact, he calls her his something wild in book two. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so what author has most influenced your writing? Um, hands down, Agatha Christie. Um, I was a precocious reader. I was supposed to be reading Nancy Drew. I despise Nancy Drew. In fact, in Backyard Bones, I take a big swipe at her. (laughs) So if any of you want to read books and are big Nancy Drew fans, maybe you should put that one off for a bit and read some (laughs) of the others. But um, I would go to my grandmother's house and she loved true crime and, you know, anything like that. But she had all of the Agatha Christie books. This is, you know, in the late 50s. And my mother didn't really approve of that sort of thing. Nancy Drew was fine, but you know, and I was just bored with Nancy Drew. So my grandmother would slip me, a, generally Miss Marple, and I would sit in a big wicker rocking chair, which I still have and treasure, and read Miss Marple. What I loved about her things, I, the language didn't put me off, and I'm something of an Anglophile anyway, so it was really fun that it was you know, British. But, but what I admire about Agatha Christie more than anything is that if you are paying attention, you have all the clues that you need to solve the mystery. And I really like that, and I try to incorporate that. Oftentimes, if you're paying careful attention, you have all the clues you need within the first chapter or two to solve the mystery. And then the game for me becomes putting in red herrings and not revealing information too quickly so that you don't necessarily figure it out prematurely. And that was my swipe at Nancy Drew in Backyard Bones too, because I wanted the reader to figure out who the murderer was a chapter before Reagan did. And I worked really hard at doing that and even had an allegory about a, a hawk this chapter right before, or in the chapter right before it. So if they hadn't figured it out, then I was hitting them over the head with it. <laughs> it was so much fun to do that because that was what I didn't like about Nancy Drew. It always seemed to me like she was dependent on being rescued and I didn't care for that. So, um, you know, Reagan handles the situation, but she does get into a very bad place because she didn't know who the murderer was. And so, you know, that kind of thing is fun. But yeah, Agatha Christie, definitely. That's, that's kind of still my favorite writer. I've read everything that she's written. Yeah, that seems to be a common thread with cozy mystery writers or mystery writers in general is Agatha Christie is their favorite. And well, she's kind of the quintessential and probably first cozy mystery writer, if you think about it. I mean, the definition of a cozy mystery, according to, to my cookbook, is there has to be a body in the first or certainly by the second chapter. There's an amateur sleuth, um, usually female, she can be any age. There's a community, and it doesn't have to be a small village in England. It can be, in, in my case, a real estate community, but quilters or a tea shop or whatever, but there is some sense of community with it. The villain, um, 
gets their comeuppance and that's kind of important. Um, and you know, the mystery is solved and has a satisfying resolution by the end of it. And Agatha Christie did all of that. And especially with Miss Marple, you know, you've got a lot of cozies. You've got a really nosy, frankly, protagonist. <laughs> and there's no one nosier than Miss Marple, you know, or better at putting things together. So it's not surprising that she would inspire a lot of cozy writers. True, true. So how are you and your family coping with the pandemic? Oh, <laughs> well, I got my first shot a week ago. Yay. Um, yay. Um, it's been interesting. As I said, I'm, I'm widowed. And I relied on doing Airbnb to keep my sanity after my husband died. I absolutely loved it. People came from all over the world. And um, there's something about Airbnb that this was within my house. So it was you know, a hosted situation. I would talk to people and they would talk back. And a lot of times they return multiple times. I can count probably 25 people who have become longtime friends because of that particular connection. Well, as soon as COVID hit, that was the end of Airbnb. And I'm, I'm an introvert, which means I'm not shy, but I need downtime by myself to kind of recharge batteries. So, you know, I'm okay with kind of being on my own, but I miss that interaction with people. Mostly miss hugging my kids, my golly. Um, but in August, middle of August of last year, as if COVID wasn't enough, there, was, there were fires in California, including in Bonnie Dune where I live. And my house was damaged so severely in the CZU fire that after coming up on six months, I'm still not home. Oh. So I'm staying in an Airbnb. I'm very comfortable. There's no problem. And my house is being put back together amid phenomenal delays, mostly related to COVID because crews keep getting sick or needing to quarantine <laughs> and it drags things out you know, for so long. I think I'm now probably within a couple of weeks of being able to go home but my house truly won't be put back together. It'll just be habitable. Um, and so that's really compounded everything. I am really looking forward to, you know, to getting through this whole mess. And one of the things that I was always wanting to do was to go to writer conferences. You know, there's all kinds of left coast crime and, and Bushrikan and, and I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And, all sorts of different things. I am a member of Mystery Writers of America, although I will never go to New York for one of their meetings, but they're local chapters. Um, I'm a member of Sisters in Crime. We've been doing a pretty good job with virtual things, but it was really fun to go to live meetings. And I, there are 10 of us in Santa Cruz, we call ourselves the Santa Cruz Women of Mystery. And again, we've been doing virtual things, but man, I miss those people. I want to hug all of them. So I'm really looking forward to the end of this and to maybe getting to, you know, see people in person. It would, it would be lots of fun. Yeah, I, I get that. And I would, I would love to go to a writer's conference. And like you said, COVID makes that hard. And well, they've all been 
I mean, they're kind of virtual and yeah. I'm, I'm so zoomed out at this point. I don't want to <laughs> do it anymore. But, you know, trying to keep up the connections. And as I said too, I, to you before we started the interview, I have read all of my books. I'm in the process of reading The Funeral Murder, which is the last one that I wrote, um, to a group called Well Connected. It started out as a group for seniors who were challenged about getting out. Uh, and it was in the East Bay near San Francisco. And it was a dial-up thing. And, and I, I can't even remember how I found them, but I, with great trepidation, I contacted them and said, would you be interested in having me read a book called The Death Contingency for your mystery spot thing? Prepared for them to say, who are you and why are you talking to us? And instead they said, sure. Well, it turned out the group of people who listened had been such longtime readers and so many of them in book clubs and everything else. And they were no longer for whatever reason able to get out and go to many places. So they were thrilled to have what they said was fresh meat. <laughs> and they let me read the first book. And then they said, do you have any more? So every time I'd finish a book, I would contact them and say, I've got another one. So there's a, a following. Now it's national called Well Connected. And that's another really fun thing for me to do in the time of COVID. Because again, some of these relationships with people are a decade at this point old. And it's really fun to recognize the voices. I've never met any of them, of course, because it's all done on the phone. But it's really fun to do that too. So, you know, trying to stay connected as much as possible, but it, it's going to be so much fun to, you know, to do the, and just to go out and have a meal or do something like that. I, you know, I realized I, I was sort of a lady who lunches, I guess, um, in, in large part, because I had different friends that I'd get together with. And when COVID started, um, my house has a big outdoor patio and a breeze off Monterey Bay. So I was inviting like two to three people at a time down for uh, margarita Mondays. We'd sit out on the deck at about three in the afternoon and have a margarita. And of course the fire put an end to that too. So it's, it's just been a challenge certainly. And I want it over. Yeah, a lot of us want COVID over and want the challenge over. Yeah. We're strong. We'll get through it, but it it's time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So how can my snoops and sleuths follow you? Well, you can go to Amazon and type in Nancy Lynn Jarvis. Lynn is L-Y-N-N, -N, no E on the end. And Jarvis is very British, J-A-R-V-I-S. And that'll bring up all of my books. You can certainly do that. You can go to Facebook and either put in my name or Reagan McHenry uh, Real Estate Mysteries. And there's, you'll be able to follow based on that or Goodread Publishers. You can also do that on Facebook, although that's maybe the least of things. Um, I'm on Goodreads, again, Nancy Lynn Jarvis. I've really simplified everything and just made everything. So email addresses, you know, it's nancylynnjarvis at gmail.com. Website is www.nancylynnjarvis.com. Um, and you can also go there and see the books and read 
first chapters or beginnings of books there. So everything is simple. If you can remember my name, you can find me. And I'll be sure to put the links in the show's notes. Thank you. Wow, I can't believe we've been talking for 40 minutes. It's been great <laughs> talking with you. <laughs> I told you I was a talker. You can't turn me off. Hey, that makes the show so much easier to do. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any closing words of advice or wisdom? Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> Don't even ask. No, I, no. Uh -uh. Well, thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you for letting me. I, this is fun. And I mean, this is one of the things that I really enjoy. So it was a delight to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I can follow you too, right? Tell me yeah. how I follow you. Well, there's the Cozy Sleuth website, which is www.cozysleuth or www.thecozysleuth.com. The, okay, the is important, okay. Yeah. And there I have a blog. Um, you can listen to past episodes. In fact, I'm starting a new show segment called Mystery Monday, where I'll be reading from a, a script that basically puts my listeners in the mind of a cozy sleuth. Oh, that sounds interesting. And we'll see who gets to figure out first who killed, in this case, it's an archaeology professor. Oh, I'm going to have to find that and, and listen to that. Be sure to <laughs> be sure to post that in lots of places. Um, the one downside with writing mysteries is you do learn about red herrings and misdirects and things like that. And it is now rather difficult for me to read cozies because I'm too good at figuring out when I'm being misled. And generally by, you know, page 43, I've got it figured out almost always correctly. Um, and <laughs> so that would be really fun to do a live thing and a competition to see <laughs> who can solve the mystery first. Yeah, it's kind of a competition, but it's just for bragging rights. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah. But it's just the idea that that would be really fun to to be able to either, is it a read or a listen to? It's a listen to. Actually, okay. the first, technically the first episode I aired yesterday is kind of an experiment to see if anybody would be interested. And in this, you just meet the professor and one of the first suspects. I'll just say that. <laughs> okay. I'm going to hope that you will email me or send me the link, because even though I've written things down, I frequently don't get them correctly written. I'll definitely, I, I, will, I will listen in. I'll definitely tonight. send you the link. <laughs> <laughs> but you can also just follow me on Facebook. Uh, LeannaShields.com or I've got a group called uh, The Cozy Sleuth um, Podcast Fans and Guests where, fan, where my snoops and sleuths gather and Okay, well hopefully I'm going to find some of these and definitely follow because they sound very entertaining And as always you can find me on Twitter at The Cozy Sleuth <laughs> That's the one thing I don't do. 
well, I'm sure you'll find some of my connections. I'm sure I will. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I will. Well, Snoops and Sleuths, you've heard another great interview here on The Cozy Sleuth. I'd like to thank my patrons, Regina, Cozy Cub, and Dower Bear for their help in keeping the show commercial-free and growing. I'd also like to thank my Coffee Clutch for their contributions as well. If you'd like to be like my patrons, Regina, or my fellow Cozy cozy podcasters, the Cozy Cub and Dower Bear, you can join us on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the Cozy Sleuth, where you can become either a guiding clue, a small town sleuth, or a Sherlock Holmes. Or if you want to do a one-time contribution, you can become a member of my Coffee Clutch, and that's coffee.com slash the Cozy Sleuth ko-fi.com slash the cozy sleuth details will be in the show's notes until next time this is leanna shield saying keep cozy